This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. Sheerless. It's just a word. Do you use it? I'm of an age that if someone called me a Sheila, I would not take it as a compliment. But perhaps I should question why somebody would even call me a Sheila. Eliza Riley has written a book about some amazing Sheilas. Welcome, Eliza. Thanks for having me. Now, if you were doubtful about Sheila's, the subtitle of your book certainly qualifies the type of Sheila we're talking about. Eliza, what is that subtitle? Badass Women of Australian History. <laughs> well, the book is, and I'm quoting you here, celebrating the chaos and brilliance of some women through the generations. You start this book back in the 1860s with not so much the bushranger Captain Thunderbolt, but his better half, Mary Ann Bug. What could she do that he couldn't? <laughs> uh, stay alive. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, she was uh, such an amazing bushranger. And I argue the more superior type of bushranger because she was able to put her ego to the side and be a, an astute strategist that was able to go undetected and keep her and her 13 children safe and happy and alive uh, up to the age of 70. She just lived her life on as a nurse, sort of a quietly and uh, comfortably for the rest of her life. Whereas as soon as she dumped him, Captain Thunderbolt got shot in the face by the <laughs> cops about two minutes after and couldn't survive a minute without her. I think a little bit more information about Marianne Bug is needed. In Sydney, there was a jail for convicts who broke the law again. This was on Cockatoo Island in Sydney Harbour, a shark-infested body of water, with Belmain, the closest mainland suburb. Frederick Ward, or Captain Thunderbolt, was the only prisoner who escaped from the island. In the Dictionary of Sydney, his escape is written as he swam to Balmain one night in 1863 and, aided by Marianne Bug, absconded to the bush. We know she did more than just aided. She worked in Balmain, don't know what or as how, she learnt the surveillance pattern of the guards and she gathered information of just where Fred was located on the island and what was needed to rescue him. She assembled food and horses, another where and how question. She then swam across against tides, weighted down with a metal file to cut through the iron bars, and she rescued him. And then he escaped. So Marianne Bug did a little more than just well, your research on these Sheilas is remarkable, but I did love the acknowledgement you gave to your sister who Googled <laughs> the subtitles, Badass yeah. Women of Australian History. Who did she come up with? Nancy Wake, the white mouse, uh, the most wanted woman by the Gestapo in World War II, uh, and she had a $6 million 
franc bounty on her head and that's not including inflation. Look, amazing. You, you, a part of your humour, you said, do we need another World War II story theme? Oh, yeah. We need another one just as much as one needs a yeast infection at a yoga retreat. Now, that I love this because that's a bit of humour that needs <laughs> to be explained to the non-women readers of your book. <laughs> I mean, I... I I don't think yeast uh, discriminates. I'm pretty sure a, a penis can get a yeast infection. <laughs> Maybe. Let's get back to Nancy Wake. And she said, well, not chopping a Nazi to death with a judo chop or riding a bike 71 hours straight through enemy lines, blood-curdling violence and ethically corrupt stuff, previously thought only by the domain of men, but as you say, she killed and drank heaps. Yep. She wasn't so much a white mouse, was she? <laughs> no way. She was a little mouse that could roar and roar. And, you know, she lived most of her life in Paris. Uh, that was her big, big love of her life. Um, but she still retained this dense ochre like a uh, dinky dye Aussie girl accent and up until like her 90s uh when she was interviewed and I got to listen to those interviews and just oh she's she you can take the girl out of Australia but you can't take Australia out of the girl well we often say that you know women shouldn't be in war but they also yes. up to a certain stage couldn't be in the sky mm. women in aviation there was Loris Boney. What did she do at 4am every morning? <laughs> Best questions ever, Jan. At 4am, she would sneak out of her home, her beautiful big estate, and she would jump in the back of the milkman's truck to uh, smuggle her way to the local airfield where she would take flying lessons in complete secret. So her husband allowed her to fly but not drive a car. Yeah. So she was unable to um, help in the sky through World War II, but then there was a rule that Deborah Laurie was <laughs> able to change. Yes. Was that? So if we cut forward uh about 50 years in the 1970s there was this thing called the equal opportunity board ah. that came in which is a it feels like sci-fi to me being a young woman in 2022 but it turns out women couldn't do a lot of things back in the 70s and 80s and they weren't seen as equal class citizens and uh she essentially made it so that women could fly commercially and could, uh, you know, fly anywhere they wanted. So, and she's still working today as a pilot. Two years in court going from yeah. the equal opportunities through the Supreme Court, the High Court, the whole thing. Basically, yeah. Rare Jansen didn't want women in the air because when, when would they be questioned in a nosedive? <laughs> I know, I know. 
So essentially she was asked in an interview once when she started to get the little punch that maybe they were discriminating against her because of her gender. Uh, she was in a job interview at ANSET when they said that they were worried that she wouldn't be able to get um, the plane out of a nosedive because of an ep ectopic pregnancy. Ectopic pregnancy, which I had to Google. I was like, what is an even? What is that? Like, you have a bit of warning about one of those, I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be on. Anyway. Anyway. Well, I haven't been in a nosedive with one of them either. So <laughs> she went to court with one barrister and Reg Ansett supplied 11. Anyway, yeah. out of the air, let's have some more women changing the rules. And this time in the water, going back to Sarah Fanny Durack. Now, Every Olympic Games, we're taught, we're told about the first women's gold medal won by Fanny Durack in Sweden. <laughs> she had to change a few rules. Yeah, she was not allowed to go to the Olympics. The uh, Women's Swimming Association uh, banned her, said you can't go. And also the Olympic Committee uh, wouldn't support her to go to Switzerland in 1912, even though her and her best mate Mina, Mina Wiley, was they were the fastest, most celebrated swimmers uh, and they weren't allowed to compete on the main stage. And so they said, up with this, I will not put. And so they essentially in the 1910s did a crowdfunding campaign where they asked citizens of Australia and um, investors to invest their own way there and they got themselves on the boat to Switzerland. And, uh, and they were gold. But they also had to fight the rule that they could swim in front of men but that's yeah <laughs> I know that was the whole thing you weren't allowed to um compete or in the presence of men um which you know journalists at the time as well sort of guffawed at was like this is so silly like come on just let the girls compete well thankfully the girls the girls um yeah. were able to swim in some sensible swimming suits which <laughs> One of the many firsts devised by Annette Kellerman, another Sheila, another woman who yep. broke, as I said, about seven firsts. Oh, so many. So Annette Kellerman is, was around the same time that Fanny Durack and Mina Wiley were you know, winning all those massive national titles. She was a bit like mm, the Olympics, so passe. I'm not really a competitor, even though she was an amazing swimmer. She was much more in the showbiz end of swimming. She uh, first created what she called underwater ballet, which would go on to be known as synchronized swimming, uh, which became is still one of the most celebrated and popular sports in the Summer Olympic Games. So I just think that's such a cool full circle moment where as a young woman, you're like, uh, I don't want to go to the Olympics. I'll just invent an entire sport for the Olympics. The end. Like, I'm going to go have a cocktail. Yeah, that's kind of like one of them. And, of course, there was the first nude in Hollywood, the first yes. to try to swim the English channels, and, of course, mm -hmm. the bodysuit. But through the reading of this, you know, you 
you said the Chief did seven first water sports and a water sport that Eliza Riley is first in is still being tweeted about today, but you will have yes. to read the book to find out what yes. that is. So, oh, Dan, you're making me blush. <laughs> out of the water into Australian politics. How difficult is it to change the constitution? Mm-hmm. Well, it's by design supposed to be incredibly difficult, but not impossible. Uh, and so beautiful Sheila Faith Bandler was up for the task and her and uh, Pearl Gibbs uh, went on to change the constitution and for the better of all Australians, but particularly for First Nations Australians. Eliza Riley, what you say about changing anything as hard as the Constitution, quoting, changing it is about as easy as holding sustained eye contact with your gynaecologist after a pap smear. <laughs> now, it did take uh, Faith Bandler 10 years to collect 100,000 signatures. Mel Thornton had a petition but it didn't sway the Minister for Justice in Queensland. So what did she do? Mel Thornton was an academic in Queensland at the time while Faith Bandler was shaking things up in uh, New South Wales, cut to Brisbane where women after a hard day's work were not allowed to join their fellow male colleagues at the pub to Bro, blow the froth off a cold one and have a schooner. So Mel Thornton thought, oh, I'll just literally chain myself to my local bar until they serve me a beer. And that's what she did. <laughs> photo I have seen so often. I never knew about the woman behind it. And what I didn't know was when that photo was published, so was her home address. So she Unbelievable. And she, you know, in, in, in Parliament, question time, they questioned the mental health of her and her husband and whether her children were suitably supervised and perhaps they should be taken into care. Just It is disgusting. And, like, for all the, for all of the, like, fun that I have telling Merle's story because it is such a fun, vibrant thing, like, it can't be understated that, like, it was no gimmick. Her life was under threat and it really changed her and her family's life forever. And it was really, men took their place in society incredibly seriously. And Merle knew that coming after their beer meant an incredible identity shift for them and they were going to be pissed. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to get you to read from your book. This is from 124. There was a Sheila who said she wasn't even human. <laughs> Rosaline Thorne Norton was an artist, journalist, philosopher, and most crucially, a true blue dinky dye witch, a dark magic lady whose reputed powers were so feared, not only does she hold the very Sheila's title of being the most attacked witch of the 20th century, she is also the only person in Australia whose work has been destroyed by a high order of the crown. This makes Rosaline the most persecuted artist in Australia and the first woman to stand before the courts on obscenity charges. Oh, 
Ah, look, her, as you say, her erotic performance art makes <laughs> Lady Gaga's exhibitionism, exhibitionism seem frigid by comparison. She does. She was an incredible artist uh, and performance artist and painter in the 30s and 40s in King's Cross, which is like the party district of New South Wales. And she was an openly bisexual woman. Like, think about this. Like, a lot of young people that come out as bisexual are, you know, dismissed and put to the side and said that's a weird thing to say. Imagine doing that a hundred years ago. Like, it's, it blew my mind. She claims she talks about um, liking having sex with gay men because she gets to feel powerful. Like, she was saying this stuff out loud in the 30s at the height of conservative Australia, which just... It really blew my mind. And she was expelled from high school, not because yeah. of her actions, but because of her artwork capable of corrupting the other girls. Yeah, the patriarch often uses this tactic of like, you know, trying to, I guess, shackle women. Um, but it's more about the thing of like, well, if women aren't meant to be erotic, if women aren't meant to be sexually expressive, like if that's not a natural state for women, why are you making so much effort in locking us up and locking that part of us down? Because if you claim like we're supposed to be just like innocent wallflowers, then you probably wouldn't need to work so hard to try and make us so. Mm, good point. Now, Eliza Riley, the beauty of this book, the you acknowledge that there's the hardcover adaptions of Gould's Book of Australian Birds, and <laughs> they're just absolutely stunning, aren't they? You've adapted them a little bit sometime, a few bullet holes here and a few snakes there, <laughs> to make these birds a little bit more... How would you call it? Uh, carnivorous, I would say. Uh, yes, they are. They're beautiful. All these birds that feature throughout are, you know, badass carnivorous birds of Australian history that you might not know about. You know, we all know about kingfishers and eagles, but there's also these gorgeous other beautiful birds all throughout, like magpies and, that. you know, they're beautiful. But then look closely and they actually have some uh, tenacity to them that you didn't expect, just like the Sheilas. And the research, the quotes, so, so many newspaper articles you went, you've gone back through and government papers too to clarify your points. Oh, so that's the research and the beauty of the book, the humour in the book. Oh, Eliza Riley, that I laughed aloud. Sometimes I didn't even understand it because, you know, it's all this new generation stuff. But, look, when you um, wrote about Catherine Hay Thompson, she was an investigative journalist. And just, just read from page 36 that little bit of an intro. Domestic trouble, religious excitement, love affairs and seduction, nostalgia, sunstroke, and overwork. As well as being the titles of Taylor Swift's future hits, these are some of the reasons Australian women could very legally be admitted to a mental asylum in the 1800s. Oh, 
Yes. So Catherine Hay Thompson put herself in there just to see what it was like. And the journalism came out. She also put herself into Melbourne uh, Hospital and to find out, you know, just what was going on there and led to nursing training and all of these things. These women, honestly, well done. You've made them so much more than just names in a book like Nancy Wake. That's right. And just also wanting to sort of tell the story from, I guess, my perspective as a as a young woman in Australia, I would look around and be see Ned Kelly and see Don Bradman and, you know, see that prime minister that would like skull beers at the cricket and be like, that's cool. But like, where are my heroes? You know, where are they that, you know, that you know, that they were big and rambunctious, there must be because Australian women, I'm looking around and being like, we're all so bombastic and amazing and brave. Uh, there must have been some women that paved the way and Catherine was totally one of those. This, this is such a different book, Eliza. Can you tell me how you got it published? Well, truth be told, my wonderful editor and publisher, Kate Blake, hunted this book down from me for years. Uh, I've, I've, you know, but it was only up until 2020 in lockdown where Kate was like, Eliza, it's time to write Sheila's. It's lockdown. Uh, go for it. And I only started it in October 2020 and did all of the historical research and all of the writing of the first draft in only three months. Could you like, which is amazing. Like, it's my first book. I really was like uh, very proud of myself, but it felt like that uh, Sheila's just sort of flowed out. It was so easy to write and it was so fun to go into these adventures. And um, since then, since being on shelves, it's been so amazing talking to other women uh, about their opinions of the Sheilas and also finding out more. Everyone has a Sheila that they want to tell me about now. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's a debut novel. Mm-hmm. So how did you get it to Macmillan? Well, I, it, it, I did a show on the ABC called Growing Up Gracefully and that's when uh I guess Kate, my editor, who I feel like is a real, was a real ambassador for me and a real champion for the book, uh, was like, let's write a book. And she was at a different publishing house at the time. And then she moved to Pan Macmillan and was like, let's do it. Let's, you can do this. Yeah, one day, uh, there's a chapter about the history of side saddling. That's the first chapter I wrote because I was so like, I've never written a book before. Like, I, I like, why, you know, you're asking a young woman to do this. And I, that was the first chapter I showed her and just so encouraging of me. And then so went off and did the rest of the book from there. We didn't even mention the side saddler who jumped okay. six foot six inches on a horse on side saddle. Edith. Yeah, oh. she was amazing. She at the Royal Easter show, there was a record uh, high jumping on a horseback and she did it. I measured it and it's higher than my door in my living room. It's six foot and six inches, I'm pretty sure, which is like one point, nearly like two metres high. And she did it wearing side saddle and it took something like 
70 years, I'm totally paraphrasing, but it felt, it felt like it took like 60 or 70 years for that record to be broken again recently by another young woman. Um, it's just incredible. Yeah, I love that photo. It's incredible in the book. I want that as a massive big poster. If you see it in the book, you'll know what I mean. Sheila's Badass Women of Australian History, a research written about by Eliza Riley, with just as much determination and innovation as the women had in defying the rules and norms of their times. Thank oh, you. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> That's such a nice thing to say. I had an absolute blast writing it and speaking with you today. Well, thank you. So next time there's a man telling you about another man, tell them about a badass woman too. Thank you very much, Eliza. Thank you, Jan. And now more women, perhaps not bad, maybe just their preference. Pearl is traditionally a gift to celebrate 30 years. So Carmel Shute, what are you celebrating? Well, we're celebrating 30 years of Sisters in Crime, which I know sounds like a group of women who rob banks, but we're basically a literary society and we behave very well except on page or screen. <laughs> and Sarah Pretsky actually founded uh, Sisters in Crime at the BoucherCon, which is the top crime writers convention in, in American perhaps the world, and she founded that in 1986. So I was going to America and I thought I might do a program for the ABC's Radio National coming out show. But I did do a very long interview with, with Sarah Pereski and we spoke for two and a half hours. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. But she's also my, you know, still remains my favourite crime writer. So she was one of the new wave of feminist crime writers. You got Sarah Pereski to come to... The Paran Town Hall. Now that was quite a turnout there. It was our, still is remains our biggest event because we had six hundred people on International Women's Day. It was the best time. Sisters of Crime started up, and Lucy Sussex she wrote an article about an unmarked grave. Now this person has become very important in the Sisters in Crime terminology. Well, that's right. So. Lucy, in our very first issue of our newsletter, wrote an article about Alan Dabbitt, who wrote the first full-length Australian crime novel in 1856, Force or Fraud. And Lucy discovered that she was buried in an unmarked grave in Geelong General Cemetery. So we arranged for a distant relative Joanna Trollope when she was out here for a Melbourne Writers Festival to put a plaque on her grave and now the trust runs tours of the general cemetery and someone gets dressed up as Ellen Davitt and speaks about her from the gravesite. We took her name for our Davitt Awards for the best crime books published the year before and they're, they're just turning 22 this year. So let's get back to 30 years. What are you doing to celebrate Carmel Shoot? Well, we're having a party and it will be hosted by Sue Turnbull. You'll be able to hear from me, Angela Savage, who will be talking about the role that our short story competitions uh, paid at Unearthing Talent. We'll also be hearing from Emma Viskich, who's about the David Awards, because Emma 
has won an unprecedented five David Awards. And we'll also be hearing from Solari Gentle about the sort of community that Sisters in Crime has created. She's a crime writer from New South Wales. And at the end, we'll be hearing from Vicky Petraitis, who will be giving a very amusing account of what the sisters have got up to in the past 30 years. But also we'll be having singing. So Angela Savage and Kate Kennedy, who won the first Scarlet Stiletto, and they have rewritten the words, sisters are writing it for themselves. And Jane Clifton will be belting that out. And, of course, there'll be lots of eating and drinking. So when's that going to be celebrated, Carmel? Uh, that is Saturday, the 23rd of April, 6 for 6.30 p.m. at the Victorian Pride Centre, which is 79 Fitzroy Street, St Kilda. You do need to book. So just go to the Citizen Crime Facebook page. It's there on the front page. You can't miss it and book in. Thanks very much, Carmel. Should be a great Thank- night and happy anniversary. And bring out the pearls. Bring out the pearls. <laughs> There's a prize for the best pearly outfit. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.